Matt's giving me the finger. It's, it's this one. That's the finger. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's good to see all of your beautiful faces. And Brad, it's good to see you too. Um, I know you are. <laughs> all right. Um, so, who here knows that we are at war? We are at war, and, uh, you know, there's lots of different kinds of war you might be at, um, you know. Currently, we're not officially engaged in, in war as a country, but, you know, that's usually what people think of in war is guns and soldiers and, and people fighting and dying. And there is fighting and there is dying, um, but uh, there's other wars, too. There's wars for your money. There's wars for your attention. There's wars for the minds of your children. And uh, you'll get that a lot, especially on television these days. Um, lots of war being waged there. Um, but you are having a spiritual war every single day, uh, whether you know it or not. And you're winning battles and you're losing battles. And if you haven't realized it, you're probably losing a lot of battles. But uh, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, is waging spiritual battles. And... Um, if, uh, if someone's to lose a battle, they can have some pretty costly consequences. Um, you know, as a, as a police officer, I see people losing battles a lot. Uh, a lot of people actually aren't even fighting. They're just getting kicked and rolling over. But um, there is a lot of people out there trying to fight a spiritual battle and getting beat up pretty hard because um, they're not ready. They're not ready for that battle. And Satan knows how to take it to him. Um, losing a spiritual battle can be giving in to an addiction. It can be people relapsing on drugs. It can be relapsing and then abandoning your family. Um, it can be murder. There's lots of things that are very serious that can be from losing battles. It can also be gossiping. It can also be shooting your mouth off when you get angry. Um, uh, it can be as minor as, well, I don't think I even did anything wrong. But you've lost a battle because you failed an objective. Um, we've all lost spiritual battles. But that is not the same as losing a spiritual war. And if you don't know the difference, battles are small fights and war is the entire goal. Your, your start to finish goal, what you're trying to get done. And wars are fought in battles. And you can lose battles and still win wars. In fact, you can lose most of your battles and still win a war. Um, that is the thing that you can do. I'm not saying I recommend that process, but that's a way that it can happen. Um, <clears throat> so, you can, you can fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. And still not too late to come back and have success in your spiritual war. But it's not going to happen if you don't even know how to fight. You don't even know what the battle is. You didn't realize you were in one to begin with. So let's take a minute to analyze this and see if maybe we can come to a, an understanding of maybe how we can start fighting a little better to come out on top on these things. So rule number one when it comes to warfare, know your enemy and know yourself. It was actually a quote from Sun Tzu who wrote uh, The Art of War. He had a whole book on it. Uh, it wasn't a very long book, but I hear it's good. People have been reading it for a few centuries. So uh, He says, know thy enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. So you're not going to have as much hope of success if you don't even know what you're up against. You come into this thing blind. You don't know where attacks are coming from. And uh, you just go into it just flailing your arms. Not a very good fighting style. There's been a few, I'm sure, have won like this, but it don't happen very often. And you've got to be up against somebody who's not a very good adversary. And let me assure you, your adversary is a very formidable adversary. 
Who is your enemy? We could say yourself, because sometimes you're going to get in your own way, but you wouldn't even be fighting yourself if it wasn't for somebody who's putting you up to it. Uh, your enemy has many names, uh, just a few of them. Prince of Darkness, Father of Lies. That one is going to come back a little bit later. Your enemy is Satan. And uh, I'm sure you've heard the name, and I'm sure there's a lot, maybe especially online watching this, who thinks that Satan is um, a horned guy with a pitchfork, and uh, he basically just enjoys being mean, and he does to an extent, but that's not all there is to it, and uh, he doesn't necessarily have horns and a pitchfork. Sometimes he's a pretty lady. Sometimes he's a... A friend who you meet back up with that you haven't seen in a long time. It can be a lot of different people that Satan is posing as today. Um, if you look in the Bible, the way it starts is Satan was an angel. He was a servant of God. Now, I would debate probably not a very good one, but at a point in time, he was a good one. In fact, he was supposed to be like the best one. Um, he was uh, really something to look at, beautiful angel. Doesn't say anything about his horns or his pitchfork. Maybe he turned red later, but no, he was supposed to be a very beautiful angel. And uh, he was a very proud angel, which went to his head. And then what happened? He thought one day, you know what? We spent all this time serving and worshiping God. That seems like a pretty good gig. I'm awesome. People should worship me. So I don't know why you guys are all focused on him. Me, 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 me. Quit looking at him. Me. He started focusing on himself, and um, he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to look at him instead of God. And uh, it didn't pan out very well for him. Um, although a lot of people also think that, you know, God must have been pretty nice to him because he's going to have like a special rulership position in hell, and that's not the way it is. For some reason, we get this idea like Satan's going to be down there in a, in a throne in hell, like telling people what to do and having a good time, and that ain't it either. We'll talk about that a little more as well, but um, he was a proud angel that envied God and despised him. Um, let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 13. It says, <clears throat> How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. Okay, so this is the Bible debatably referring to Satan. Um, he's, he's talking about Babylon before this, so... A lot of people will try to make the case that, uh, that that's what he's talking about. But Satan was also known as Lucifer, which means morning star. And um, this seems pretty clearly to me to be talking about Satan and the way he saw himself and what he tried to do that got him thrown out of heaven. Um, Satan had a bit of an entitlement issue. He feels like he deserves everything. And uh, it doesn't really matter what the, the facts on their face are. He feels it. And so that's what he did. And that's a battle that a lot of people will also lose is one of pride and one of envy and one of greed. And everybody starts saying, look at me, look at me, when everything's not about them. So uh, just something to be aware of. Sometimes that's a, that's a fight Satan will bring to you is to try to get you to act like him. Look how beautiful I am. Not, not me, but I'm saying some people. Um, but Satan ends up being cast out, and he's cast down, he's angry now, because he feels entitled to the throne of God, and he's been tossed out, which I'm sure he knew God's all-powerful, and he's not going to have a chance against God, but he was so proud, he did it anyway, and I am sure if you think hard, I know I can think of a few people probably that... Uh, like, as a kid, I'd be like, that's so stupid. Why would Satan do that? And then I get older, I'm like, oh, yeah. No, I've, I've met that guy. 
I know the guy who is so proud that he would be willing to square off with God and know he's going to hell and do it anyway just because he's so proud. I've definitely met that person. Um, again, I'm not talking about me necessarily on that one. I got my own problems, not that one. But uh, um, maybe that's you and that's something you're going to have to analyze about yourself. Um, but anyway, he's angry at God. And so that's where we start getting this idea that Satan just enjoys being mean because Satan is so angry at God, he has full-blown turned to hatred of God. He despises God and everything about him, and it makes him angry. So what are God's most treasured possessions? It's us. You are the greatest treasure to God. It says that in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. Nothing's more important to God than you and me. And, uh, you know, it might not always look like treasure to us, but to God, that's what he sees when he looks at you. So, Satan hates God. He knows that God values you. What's that mean for Satan's relationship toward you? He probably wouldn't care about you at all, except for the fact that God loves you. So, he hates you. And he hates you like he hates God. And he wants you to suffer because if he makes you suffer, it makes God suffer. He enjoys torturing God by trying to pull you away. That's his goal. Um, and unfortunately, he's got some time to try to make this happen. We're going to look at John 16, 8 through 11. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in judgment about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you cannot see me, no, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You ever notice that things seem not so pleasant out there in the world sometimes? Um, maybe pretty regularly, especially if you watch the news. Um, Satan does not have a throne in hell from which he is going to be all-powerful and enjoying himself for eternity. But he does kind of have a throne right now. He is the prince of this world. That doesn't mean you need to obey him or listen to him. It means right now he's got the freedom to kind of do his thing. And unfortunately, he is good at doing what he does. But... It's a war that he knows eventually he's going to lose. He's just biding his time, and he's trying to take out as many of you with the time that he has. But for the time being, he's free to pretty much do what he wants as long as you let him. But Satan has no authority over God. And when God is in you, he has no authority over you. And if you see... Satan being powerful, if you see a demon with strength, it means that's where God is not. Where God is present, demons have no power. So, keep that in mind as we're going through this as well. You have the ability to win every single battle. Not through your own strength, through God's, but... The ability has been given to you to have absolutely no effect. They can have no control over you, although they have domain over the world. And that's why things look a little lousy out there from time to time. Because a lot of people don't know that they're in a spiritual war. They don't know how to fight or that they're in one. And they just get beat up. And if you're not focused on God, you'll get beat up too. Um... He's got the time, and he's got the motivation. He's filled with hate, and he is coming for you. Satan is going to try to destroy you. So, you got to be ready for him. Because Satan's definitely ready for you. In the way that you need to know your enemy, Satan knows you well. He's going to know where to hit. He knows what your weak points are, and he's going to be trying to go for them. And... Truth be told, you're probably not going to have a way of knowing yourself better than Satan knows you. 
Satan's going to be able to pick out what makes you you better than you're going to be able to pick it out about yourself. But fear not, we have strategy on our side. Uh, we have God there to take care of us, despite the fact that Satan's better equipped for this fight than we are. First of all, despite the fact that Satan's going to know it better than you, you still need to know yourself. That's the other part of Sun Tzu's quote. Know your enemy and know yourself. Try to figure out where you're going to be weak. And if you have trouble figuring out where you're weak, you can ask somebody. Somebody else is probably going to have a better idea of it. Now, brace yourself. It, you're probably not going to like the answer. But when we are honest with one another, we are better equipped. We're going to lay down the fluff. We're going to lay down the stuff that doesn't matter. And we're going to be stronger in ourselves. You know, it's like pruning a tree. Snip, snip, you know. I imagine you're a tree and somebody just comes at you with a pair of pruning trimmers like that's not going to feel good that makes for the healthier tree that makes for the stronger tree and uh we'll also get a little bit more into the role that we play for one another but uh just know that uh the better you know yourself the better you're going to be prepared for the attacks that are going to be coming at you and just know that you're never going to be strong enough you're not going to be capable enough to win this fight. You're going to have to have Jesus. You're going to have to have God there with you because you're automatically going to lose if you don't. Um, you can't win a war if you change yourself and give up what the war was about in the first place. So, let's say... You know, World War II, that's a really popular one because everybody likes to compare everything to Hitler and the Jews. So, in World War II, if the United States had come to the conclusion we can defeat Germany by killing Jewish people and installing National Socialism, that's not a victory, even if they, like, don't lose any more soldiers. Because you've just given up. You've just given the enemy everything that the whole war was about in the first place, obviously, right? You, uh, you, couldn't, um, you couldn't surrender to Imperial Japan and say that's a win. You've surrendered. You give up who you are, that's a loss. So in that same way, if in this war you decide you're going to find some peace by just not participating, that's a loss. If you quit going to church and quit uh, coming together with other believers and you quit reading your Bible, you're like, it's just more peaceful this way. First of all, uh, if you're finding any peace, it's only going to be temporary. But second of all, that's, you've just given it up. You've just given up everything. and you, That's not a win. That's you losing uh, voluntarily. Um, <clears throat> I had written down here... Uh, I know a lot of you have heard Hawk Nelson. Um, we, we do that song, Diamonds. I love that song, Diamonds. My kids loved it so much, I thought it was great. But the lead singer from that band not long ago, um, he had been on a mission in Africa, and he had seen a lot of children that were going through serious problems, starvation, violence of different kinds, and... I am sure it was a horrible sight to behold because there are horrific things that go on in Africa. I mean, there's horrific things that go on here too, but um, in Africa, it's on a much grander scale and it's more systematic. But he saw that. And when he came out of that, he said to himself, could there be a God that would allow these sorts of things to happen? That was his question. Now, I think he probably had some issues before he got there, but that was his explanation as to why he fell away from Christianity. And as far as I know, he just became an atheist. Maybe he would say agnostic. I don't know. I mean, it's going to count to the same thing if you don't have Jesus Christ, but he gave it up. He had the battle, and decided he was going to find more peace just surrendering, and that's what he did. And 
I hope he comes back and gets back into that fight. Maybe this was just a temporary setback, but uh, we can only pray. But uh, that would just be an example of somebody who just gave up everything that they were to try to find a win to the war, but that's just a loss. Um, so we know who Satan is, and we know that his objective is to pull you down and tear you away from God. So uh, what's going to be next? If we're fighting this thing like we would fight an actual war or, or a battle, we know the enemy, we know their goal, we need to plan our own mission. Uh, we need to know what we are here to do. Because if you don't know what the finish line is going to look like, you're not going to be able to cross it. You are just going to be, you know, aimlessly wandering around, and hopefully you get where you need to go. But uh, you have orders. You have orders from God. You've been ordered to spread the gospel to all the nations and all the people. You're supposed to spread the word of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that is your directive. You are ordered to do it. <clears throat> now, in order to accomplish this, you want God to show in your life as much as possible. Because while you're spreading the word, if you just hand people a Bible and then walk away, yeah, people are going to get that in their hand, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what really gets people to know God is when God is demonstrated to them. God in your life is what really spreads the gospel. If they see you and they see something other than what is in the book that you're trying to hand them, um, they're probably not going to receive it. It's going to be absolutely 100% grace of God if they open that book and they come away with anything because most people are going to look at you and go like, yeah, no thanks. I don't think I want what they've got. Not buying what you're selling. So, your orders are to spread the word, and the method by which we will do that is word of mouth and demonstration, your actions. Um, another thing to know that is going to be important here is while you are advancing towards your goal, you're trying to get to your, your objective, which is spreading the word to everyone you're also going to have to defend against attacks because Satan is going to be coming at you while you're trying to get there. And I'm correlating all of this to an actual, like a, a way you would fight a real battle, like with guns and stuff. As you're moving towards your directive, you're going to have to be able to defend yourself. Um, so you're going to have to prepare yourself for attacks. It's not all offense. You can go around and spread the word of God, but you're getting hit and you have no way to defend yourself. You're going to give up. You're going to collapse before you get there. So, when defending, it's best to choose your battlefield. You know, a lot of people that watch sports will know uh, the term home field advantage. You want to have the home field advantage. Now, you're, you're moving forward and you can't stop moving forward, but Satan is going to come and try to destroy you as you're doing that you need to be in a place where you are ready for him. You need to be in a place where you're ready to defend and he is going to come into your territory because whenever you go out after Satan, you're leaving yourself exposed. You defend yourself and he comes to where you are. Now you've got the advantage. And what I mean by that is you want to be in a place that God has prepared for you. You don't want to be outside of that place that God has designed for you. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people ask, do I have to go to church to be saved? Or I don't have to go to church to be saved. They'll say that directly. And yeah, that's, that's true. I totally believe that. You don't have to be going to church to be saved. Your presence here is not your salvation. And I am very confident in saying that. But it's where you're supposed to be. It's where the Bible says to be. The Bible says you're supposed to come together with fellow believers. It says you're not supposed to forsake that. So if you're forsaking it, I'm not saying you're not saved. What I'm saying is you're losing your home field advantage. I'm not saying that going to the bar is going to take you to hell. I am saying if you go where they are, 
you are advancing, and that's good, but you're going to lose some home field advantage. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak to people that are in bars. I'm just saying you better watch yourself because you've just lost a lot of your defense whenever you go out where they are. So when you're preparing for such things, just know what your objective is and know if you're going someplace that you're not going to have home field advantage. Know that you're there on the attack. You're going to go spread the word and you're not going to be a part of it. You're not going to let yourself get comfortable in there because eventually Satan will take you out when you go there. You stay long enough there, you're going to get taken out. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, sometimes Satan comes in the form of old friends. Um, I see people relapse on drugs all the time. I mean, constantly. And it's like every time you get somebody who had their problems and they'll go and they'll clean up and then they come back here, which is problem number one a lot of the time, but they'll come back here, and I'll see them, and they're looking good, and they'll talk to me, and they're like, yeah, I got cleaned up. This is, it's going to go good now. I'm cleaned up, and I'm like, good. I'm happy for you. Super happy you're cleaned up. Do not go meet back up with anybody you know. You go talk to anybody you know, you're probably going to fall right back off, and guess what? Happens all the time. You do not have home field advantage when you go back to the people that you were with when you were at your low points. You are losing it. Doesn't mean that you're going to fall off automatically because you talk to them, but it means you are weak and vulnerable when you go there. You better have a real good reason to want to fight that battle there if you're going to do such a thing. Leave that one for somebody else. <clears throat> Let me see if I, <laughs> I got, got off on a thing there. Um, so you got to advance towards your objective of spreading the word, but you've got to maintain defensive positions as you're getting there. And if you advance too quickly, you're going to leave yourself exposed. So we know who our enemy is, we know his goal, and we know our goal and how we're going to go about getting to our, our mission objective. What's next? You need to... Have a team and know your team. You're not going to be able to fight a war by yourself. Um, and then that kind of also brings us back a little bit to don't forsake the assembly. Uh, you need to come together with other believers. This is your team. Um, if you're military, this is like your, your unit right here. And uh, if we don't spend time together, if we don't drill together, we're not going to be ready for it when something bad happens. We're going to scatter. If you get a military that's not trained, look what just happened in Afghanistan not long ago. Um, I'm sure they had some amount of training, but evidently it wasn't enough because as soon as the Taliban started hitting them, what'd they do? Just scatter in the wind, right? That's what, that's what units or squads that are unprepared do. They get confused and then they run away. And we can't be doing that. So we need to be here together. And we need to love one another and speak with one another and know one another, not just like, hey, how's the weather? And I, I, I don't know. I think I'm just sort of like socially awkward. Maybe people haven't noticed it, but like, you, I know that member of the team. He's the first one off. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's the pastor. We wouldn't do that. Um, uh, so anyway. Uh, having a real deep conversation where you actually speak about things that matter, like I'm good once I get there, but actually getting into a conversation, I just feel super weird. So I end up small talking people to death. Quit nodding your head. I'm going to move through this part quickly because I am tired of getting called out. But anyway, so I'm bashing myself. You don't have to bash me. All right. So anyway, um, you need to, to know your team. And the Bible also says that we are there to, to reaffirm, to edify each other, and to make each other stronger. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. 
Yeah. Okay. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're there to lift each other up when somebody else has fallen. We leave no soldier behind. Um, and when it comes to pruning, a lot of people are not very good at examining themselves. You're going to need somebody else to spot for you. Snipers always work with spotters. You got a guy that's not got his face in the scope so he can see things and judge how far out things are. And then he tells you what he sees and you adjust your shot according to that. If you don't have a team, you're not going to be nearly as successful. Imagine trying to fight a war by yourself. Don't even try it. So, quit making excuses. Another thing about teams or, or squads or, or units, you're not going to like everybody. Like him, for example. I just, you know, like, <laughs> you're not going to like everybody. And in fact, some people are really going to hurt you and frustrate you, and you're going to wonder, like, how am I even supposed to work with this? Anybody who's ever been in the military, I guarantee you've met other soldiers that are like that. <laughs> or Marines or whatever. But you, it's your objective. You can't let that cost you the objective. You've still got to win that war. You've still got to win that fight, whether you're getting along with everybody or not. And what's the best way to take care of that problem if you've got an issue? Bring it to them. You go to that person, you say, hey, I think I got a problem, and you guys need to get it sorted out. And, you know, sometimes it comes to fists, but uh, <laughs> maybe not as much in church, although maybe sometimes in church it'd be easier if we just took it out that way. So everybody leaving the church because of the color of the carpet, like, just just take a swing. Let's get this thing over with. No. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. There's the one. All right. Let's focus more on what Barbie's got to say here. Y'all saying mean stuff. It hurts my feelings, and it's not good for the team, but I'm just kidding. I, I probably need it. But um, we're here to, to do the, the hard job of also... Um, making some people uncomfortable even on our own unit so we can gain in strength. Um, also, I, I noticed like in the military, like you've heard the term brother in arms before. We literally, not as much in this particular church, but it's commonplace in churches to call people brother or sister. I think they do that in the military too. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and showing up to church is like showing up to drill. If you're not showing up to church, you're not going to be drilled out. You're not going to know the plans. You're not going to, you know, be trained up, and you're not going to be ready to act together. Um, don't be quick to, to jump ship whenever you're at a church and you don't like something. A lot of people just go running right out the door, and they'll go try the next one down the street. You guys got to quit doing that. You're not going to find a church where something's not going to bug you. You're not going to be at one place and then run down the street and be like, oh, no, no, this place is perfect. Or you might be like that for a week or two, and then something's going to bug you and you're going to jump. That's a trick that Satan's going to pull on you to keep you from finding a team that you're going to settle in with. You're going to have to get comfortable with some people, whether you like some of them or not. And as for the people that tend to drive people out of churches, uh, I know whenever I'm talking to people who say I don't have to, go to church to be saved um, usually that's coming from a place like you just know right off the bat like somebody did something horrible to this person I've heard a lot of horror stories about stuff that has happened to people in churches and so for the people that are doing such things just realize you're working for the other team whenever you do stuff that drives people out and I'm not talking about like I got these weird little facial twitches here people aren't looking at that going oh I can't stand looking at Luke's facial twitches anymore I'm gone um, I'm saying like, uh, I've heard just recently somebody say that, um, they had gotten some tattoos and they'd gone into church and they had their tattoos where somebody could see it. And there was, um, an older woman who had been in the church for a long time and known this person since they were a boy. And they saw his tattoos and said, well, you're going to go to hell for that. 
And he said, I don't think I remember seeing that in the Bible. And she goes, yeah, it's God's temple. You defaced it. And now you're going to go to hell for it. Somebody needs to talk to that lady. I, there is nobody that's beyond salvation, especially not because they got some tattoos. I don't have tattoos. I'm not saying I'm an, a fan of tattoos, but I'm saying like she drove him out of that church and not only out of that church, out of all the churches. He's quit going because of that conversation right there. That lady's one sentence ended his church career until he quits surrendering and gets back in the game. But um, you got to be careful what you're saying and doing to people. Don't be judgmental. Don't be quick to tell people everything that's wrong with them. You will have to say some things that you notice that's wrong with people. You'll have to be honest with them, but you have to do it in love. You can't do it in anger. You can't do it in pride because pride is how Satan does it. And that's who was talking through that lady that day when she said it to him about those tattoos. That was the pride of Satan coming through and saying, hey, go let him know how much you know about who's going to hell. You're in charge, lady. Go show him. And it worked. Satan won that one. So don't run away and also don't run people away. All right. So we know our enemy. We know our objective and his objective. And we know our team and how we're going to learn to be ready as a team to approach any sort of uh, attack on us or how to lead our own attack. What's next? You got to gear up. You're not going to go into this thing naked. So, um, good news. Uh, God has issued you equipment. And from right here, it's better than what the U.S. military will issue you. Some of that stuff is pretty old. Um, so it smells a little sweaty. God gives you the good stuff. So um, we're going to turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on, put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Piece of equipment issue number one. Belt of truth. Um, what's the importance of a belt? Well, hold your pants up. Uh, whenever it comes to like armor or, or just in general like assault gear, it's got a little bit more purpose than, than just to hold your pants up, although that is a very important thing that it does. Um, like on mine, I don't always do it, but I've got suspenders that run to the belt. It doesn't hook onto my pants. It hooks onto the belt and then goes up over my shoulders. And if you wanted, you can strap your vest to that belt. So it'll hold your vest down, keep it from moving around and shoving up and stuff. It'll keep your vest in place um, if you wanted to do that. I typically don't, but you could. It also holds a lot of your equipment. Um, my, you know, I got a gun that mounts onto the belt. Um, I've got a multi-tool that I wear. Um, I used to wear a lot of stuff on that belt, but if you don't have a belt, um, that sacrifices where you're keeping a lot of your, your gear, your weaponry. Um, it does also prevent you from having a secured armor on. And uh, when the, this part was written, uh, the belt actually also had like some plating on it. So like it would have like a big piece of iron or leather or something that would protect your midsection because if you get shot in the abdomen like with an arrow or something um, it doesn't kill you right off the bat usually but you're almost assuredly going to die it just takes like a day or two um, so you got to protect yourself from being gut shot there yeah. but it's the belt of truth that's the importance of the belt what about the importance of the truth part we said earlier that Satan is the father of lies Weapon number one for Satan is lying. He is all about things that aren't true. 
or making things that aren't true sound true. Or, I mean, nobody lies like Satan lies. You need the belt of truth because without that belt, everything else falls apart. You're not going to be able to hold up anything else on your, your gear, and you're not going to be able to defend yourself against anything that comes your way if you don't have the truth on your side. So, um, I thought I had a verse for that. I guess I'll move on. You've got to have that belt because without the truth, you're done for. Um, open this back up here. After the belt, it says, um, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay? Um, we're also going to take, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Remember that. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Okay? So we have the breastplate of righteousness. Is it your own righteousness? Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember earlier I said you're never going to be good enough to win this fight. You're not. Although in God's eyes you are righteous because Jesus was sacrificed for your righteousness. When you go out to the world to complete your objective of spreading the gospel, your righteousness is his. Um, if people are like, really, I'm supposed to listen to that guy? He's a creep. Like, yeah, it's not his gospel. It's the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness that we're there for. That's the breastplate. Shots taken on you, they're going to bounce off that breastplate because it's not about you. It's about what Jesus did. Um, let's get back here. So, uh, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, Romans 10.15. We're going to jump to Romans 10.15 now. We'll do it this way. Uh, Romans 10.15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So, uh, your, your footwear, your boots... That is going to be um, the gospel. You are spreading the gospel. And it says here, um, blessed are the feet. So the protection comes from the fact that God has made this word and it is good. And uh, when you spread it, people might not always be super receptive right off the bat, but good things come from you doing it. Um, they bring tidings of good things, whether you see it at first or not. You're going to bring good things whenever you're spreading the gospel. Uh, then, let's jump back to Hebrew, or Ephesians. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So, shield of faith to extinguish the arrows of the evil one. We'll look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's um, confidence in what we hope for, uh, evidence of things not seen. That shield is going to protect you from the, the lies that Satan is hurling at you. Not only do you have the truth on your side, you are protected by your faith. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to go into a fiery furnace um, they were getting pitched in there because they wouldn't bow down and worship the king as a god. And what did they say? They said, God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship God and only God. They had faith. They had faith that God would save them. But they also had the faith that even if God did not do the thing that they thought God was going to do, they still had faith that God was God. No matter what happened in that case, they had faith in God. There's nothing you can do to somebody like that. And fortunately, in the story, we see that they were not burned in the fire. So that makes for an even better conclusion of a story about faith. They had faith God would protect them, and sure enough, he did. Um, next thing we've got is a helmet. 
back in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians, what was it? 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation. So our verse for helmet of salvation is going to be Acts 14, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Okay? So we know that the truth is Jesus is salvation, and that is another thing that you're going to carry forth, and anytime Satan attacks, you're going to know that no matter what, our salvation comes from Christ, and there's nothing he's going to be able to do to, to penetrate and destroy us from that angle. Um, lastly, uh, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And our verse for that is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Your sword, your offensive piece of gear, is the word of God. As you may recall, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, he used the word of God to deflect Satan away from him. Um, the word of God, it says it's alive and active. You can read that Bible a dozen times, and every time you read it, you're going to find something that applies to you in that moment. God will speak to you always through his word. If you're looking for something, you will find it. Um, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. We had also mentioned earlier that you're not going to be very good at analyzing yourself usually. A lot of people are not. Uh, most people are not. Uh, but even better than Satan, God knows you. He knows the things that you're thinking. He knows the, the setbacks you're going to have, he knows what your weaknesses are, and he knows how to approach those. And it's not always going to be comfortable. Sometimes it's like you're getting cut. But God's going to cut exactly how he needs to cut to make sure that you are getting what you should get from his word. And the same will be true whenever you're spreading that word to others. I recommend, uh, we always pray before we give uh, a sermon, and it's because we want the words to be the words of God. We pull it from the Bible, but we want the words to reach out to each person who is listening and cut exactly how it's supposed to cut. And God knows that, and he'll make it happen. Yep. So, um, conclusion here. It says that we are to put on the armor of God. That was what was said in the verse, which implies that you're not always wearing the armor of God. You've got to choose to put it on. And if you're not making the choice to put it on, you're not going to be ready. Um, people who, you know, don't come to church and say, well, it's not going to take me to hell. And people who say, um, you know, um, marijuana is not going to take me to hell. Um, they say cursing isn't going to take me to hell. And they say, you know, um, I've committed this sin and this sin and this sin. I'm not saying those things before were necessarily sins. Pray and know your own heart. But there are so many things that you can do that are not going to send you to hell. Um, but they are going to have you unprepared. If you're not choosing to put these things on and protect yourself from these things, you're not going to be ready. It's like showing up to the battle and Satan has convinced you not only to leave your home turf but go on to his and you've shown up, you left your sword at home and you showed up not wearing any pants. You're not going to do well in a battle. He's convinced you and he's lied to you and you've taken it to the extent that you've given up every advantage you had. Um, choose to put these things on. 
Um, choose the righteousness of God. Choose the, the gospel and to have faith and um, choose the truth. You can try and deny the truth and say, well, that was for then. Or you can say, you know, I, that part hurts my feelings, so I'm going to disregard that part. It's still the truth. And if you put it down, you're, you're putting down your belt, which is going to hold the rest of your gear in place. It's going to have your sword mounted. You're going to need that. So quit putting down the truth. Um, but choose to put all that on. So know your enemy. Know yourself. Know your objective. Know how you're going to fight. Know your team. Know your equipment and have it all on, ready to go. If you don't have those things, you're not going to be ready to fight. Um, and I'm not sure I expounded on this very clearly, but I mean, the fight can be, I know some of us have just suffered loss recently. Some of us don't know how to handle that. Some of us take that out in a very unhealthy way. That's Satan coming to attack you in a, in a weak spot. He sees, I've got a moment to attack and I'm going to hit him. You've got to have them on your territory. You've got to have your equipment ready to go. You've got to have your team. You've got to know that that attack is coming. If you know these things, you're going to be ready for that attack when Satan comes for you, and he will. Um, I mean, that's just an example. If you've got any questions about what battles you might be going through and he can help identifying you know, Satan's objective or yours, I'm happy to talk to you. Anybody's got any questions about that? Even, you know, out there, I guess, put, put them in the comments. We'll reach out to you in private message or something. But um, part of your team, I'm here for you. So um, <clears throat> I guess I, in conclusion, just, just be ready for it. There's the things you're going to need. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for giving us this time together here tonight. And um, I ask that even now uh, those words would would reach those that are listening and, and just hit them in a way that inspires them to have a new walk with you and a new relationship with you. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would guide their, guide their path and make them ready and uh, help them to know the, the hope and peace that comes in being of the family of Jesus Christ. And um, any that wouldn't know Jesus, that, um, that this would be the moment that they would recognize you and hear you calling out to them and come to you so that they can be ready to start winning some battles and ultimately one day win the war. Um, Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you give and we ask that you just continue blessing. Um, we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, we got some songs here. Anybody who needs some prayer?